You are listening to the brand new episode of Love of the Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. This is my show. Come on in, hang out, grab a seat, grab a beer, uh, making sandwiches. Do you want one? Uh, I'm going to make sandwiches today. Gina wasn't patient enough. What did you just have for lunch today? Macaroni and cheese. What kind of macaroni and cheese was that? Was it low calorie macaroni and cheese, which means not really macaroni and cheese. Uh, you you want to have one of my sandwiches today? What do I got in there? I think I got some like, I've got some turkey. I've got some really nice bread. Oh, you want a sandwich too? Oh, okay. Um, but uh, hang out with us today. Today's a great episode, and it's a it's a surprising, um, a surprisingly sort of inspiring episode, but also very informative. Today's an episode for any of you that have decided that you want a career in photography, you want a career in some aspect of production or filmmaking. Um, My guest today and I go deep into our experiences coming up in this business. We uh, give a lot of insight into what we've learned from our experience, charging for jobs, putting together statements of work, um, how to... uh, reach crew, talk to crew, keep people inspired on sets, uh, keep ourselves inspired. Today is uh, one of those episodes that does really well on our show because so many of you young folks are coming here looking for advice, um, looking and turning to people who have been doing this now. Jeez, the both of us, me and the guest today, we've done this collectively for about 40 years. You know, so there's lots and lots and lots of stuff to learn on today's show. How are you? What's new? What you guys been up to? Uh, We're pushing into, uh, I'm recording this on the 23rd of January, and I'm sure this will come out two weeks from now. Um, But uh, I'll tell you where I am currently. Uh, We're finally getting out of the dead zone that is January, is like pre-November through January. It's like three months of a dead zone out here in Los Angeles. Everybody makes as much money as they possibly can, and then they just go blow it on holidays and drinking and gifts and trips and travel, and then uh, people don't come back until now. And we felt this crazy surge last week, and it isn't just with people looking to do work, but it's also people looking to hang out. It's like there just sort of hits this collective moment where all of us on this side of the country suddenly decide, shit, I got to get back to work. (laughs) And it seems to like culminate over five days. Uh, Like last Friday, it was like a big one. I ended up hanging out. So what was the day? The day was did a podcast in the morning, did a meeting, went and hung out with the folks over at uh, Fujifilm. They actually had me in a uh, test group. They're talking about some new gear that they're putting together and asking questions of a lot of us uh, filmmakers on uh, what we're looking for in new cameras. So that was a lot of fun. I was able to give advice uh, for stuff that may end up in builds, which is pretty rad. Um, Got to hang out with them. Got to hang out with Nicole. She've heard her on the show from Bose. She was in town. Me, Gina, Nicole went out and uh, had some booze and had a good time. And then um, we went and saw Gina's friend who was DJing. So he spent some time there DJing. And then I went out and had fun with Ian. Um, And uh, we had a lot of beers. It was fun. (laughs) It was a lot. Those are the type of days where you're hanging out and the folks that 
want to hang with you, expect you to drink. <laughs> and so that was like a constant stream of alcohol that started at like 1230. <laughs> it went until 3 a.m. The next day was this old boy, these old bones trying to recover. Um, so, yeah, it was crazy. It was fun. It was great. Um, but let's get into what we're talking about today. So today on today's show is a guest that uh, Gina had suggested. Gina threw my way, and I'm happy she did. Um, I'm joined by Ab Cisse today, and he is uh, a creative producer. He also works uh, for the Mac Group, so this company that has like a bunch of different film tools at their disposal. Um, he is the guy in charge of all of the social media, all the promoting for Sakonic and Sakonic light meters. Um, but we don't really talk about that stuff. Uh, one of the reasons why we got him on the show is that he's been in the business as long as I have. We both started around 98, 99. Um, and he has been working consistently as a producer, as a director in the corporate world, but also in the commercial world. And he's been a photographer for years, started shooting film, uh, processing in the dark room. And he has a lot, a lot, a lot to teach, a lot to talk about, a lot of really interesting stuff. So uh, strap yourselves in, man. And uh, let's just get right into it, shall we? You know the deal. You got those noise-canceling headphones on. Crack them up to 11. We'll hit you with some banging track. Let's see. What are we going to dig up right now? Oh, you know, I'm going to pull a track from Code Electro. Code Electro has been the artist that has been with us since the beginning. I know him, Martin. He's a great dude. Um, he is releasing a brand new vinyl, uh, and we're going to get him on the show, and we're going to be giving away vinyls of his music. So I know that there's a lot of you listening to the show that love vinyls. You guys want to be a part of it. Stay tuned. Make sure you're following me at Mike Petchy on Instagram or at Love with the Process Pod on Instagram. We will be doing a contest to give away vinyls. And uh, I think I'll have Martin come on the show himself and talk about it. So let's hit you with one of the new tracks off of the new Code Electro album that is dropping, I think, next week. All right, let's get to it.
Thanks for being on the show, man. How are you? Man, thanks for having me. It's definitely my pleasure. I'm doing really well. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to chat. Uh, Gina's, like I said off air, Gina's been saying so many great things about you. And, uh, uh, you know, I can't wait to just get nerdy about everything on today's show with um, you. Don't say nerdy, man, because I can, I can go deep. You're like, Ab, stop, stop, <laughs> go back. But just let me know how deep you want to go. It depends on certain things. I mean, there's certain things where I'm sure you know way more than I do. Oh, dude, it's not Especially about- Especially when it comes to filmmaking. It's not about who knows more than what, man. It's about having a good conversation. And there's no such thing as too deep because it's a fucking podcast. Everybody's <laughs> tuned in. They're trapped now, sealed in their headphones. They have no choice but to listen to what we talk about. Uh, awesome. Let's go. Yeah, man. Well, <clears throat> so- uh, what are you doing these days, man? Like you're on the East Coast, right? So uh, yes. what's what's your day-to-day like these days? So my day-to-day is for Mac Group, um, which represents brands like Nanlite, Sakonic. Um, I can go to Temba. I can go down the list. It's kind of long now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm their executive producer, creative director. So I oversee creating all the content for all the brands with the exception of Nanlite. Um, but I would, I would say nowadays you call me more of a creative producer. Oh, cool. Meaning I kind of oversee the budget, the timeline and the creative and make sure all of it happens in a very succinct sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my hobby at my job, cause everybody needs a hobby at their job is I am brand manager for Sakonic light meters. Ah, and yes. so I pretty much oversee like the global marketing for Sakonic light meters, why? And so that's another fun thing. Oh, why do they call it a hobby? That's a job, isn't it? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't that like a gig? Is it a hobby because they're like, yeah, you kind of do it? Or is it, you know? It is. I, I'm from this world where I I consider, how would I say this? I consider myself a full-time freelancer. Ah, weird. Okay. And I have a lot of friends who are freelancers like, oh, you took a full-time job. You did this, you did that. And, you know, you should quit your job and you should just go freelance. And I'm just like, wait a minute. So I have a client who hires me regularly and gives me benefits. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's rare, man. That's very rare. And, and I'm just like, everybody wants to get like that one client that pays all the bills. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to my friends who have that one client who they're kind of mostly beholden to and drives their schedule, I'm like, you got a full-time job. You just don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. When you're a freelancer, because I've been freelancing for, I don't know, 22 years, 21 years, whatever it is. Um, nice. And uh, you're hunting for that one client. You really are. You're hunting for that client that's the regular guy that shows up all the time. With us, it was Bo's for years. And mm-hmm. uh, you, you're right. You they, they call and you jump. <laughs> that's kind of the game. And the, the, the you know... I guess it's a blessing and a curse. I think the curse is that uh, you aren't full-time when you're freelance, so you don't get any of the benefits, and you don't get, you know, you can't plan when the work's going to come through. Um, but then I guess that's also the blessing, too, where it's just like, all right, we just did a bunch of work, so fuck off. <laughs> get out of here. Exactly. <laughs> and, and when it's a full-time thing, that the you'll never get paid what you're really worth. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. You know, meaning... You know, they in, in order to get the security, they get you at a good rate, even if they're paying you well. Right, right. And then they I mean, I've heard a lot of uh, friends of mine that have gone full time in positions that used to be freelance. And then they tend to get locked in at that, uh, you know, at that salary rate. But they're still doing ridiculous freelance hours. 
Um, and so the, a lot of the, my buddies end up getting burnt out pretty quick that way, you know? Burnout is tough, man. And yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, how, how do you say it? Like, how would you define burnout? Burnout's like, you know what it is? I, I feel like, all right, there's a passion that comes with our industry, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody that gets into it is like, I'm willing to do whatever it is I need to do. And then that passion becomes sort of expected, right? So when you start in this mm-hmm. business and you get in, uh, they're like, okay, get ready to do free work, get ready to PA, get ready to, you know, bust your ass. Like, hey, I'm going to give you a small rate. You should feel fortunate to have that small rate. But I, by the way, I need you to take this car and and drive and return all this stuff. It's going to take you another, you know, eight hours to to do this work after we've wrapped. And so mm. I think that when you're younger and you, there's sort of like this mystique, especially if you're doing film stuff, there's this mystique mm. over it where you're like, I'm part of Hollywood, I'm part of movie making. And you are, you are a very important cog in that wheel. Um, but then as it starts to transition into commercial games and into commercial world, you're like, I'm a part of this, right? What are we doing here? And 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 then I think for a lot of folks, the hard realities sort of come down from the top at, at corporate companies where it's like, wait a minute. And I've said this multiple times on the show, but they're like, wait a minute. This, this guy's mm-hmm. just got a fucking warehouse full of this shit that he's trying to get rid of. Ah, you know what I mean? And so then I, I, yep. feel, I feel like if you're not being properly compensated, then then the burnout happens where you're just like, why am I fucking, what am I doing? I Like, does this matter? And I feel it when I start to work with people that are on, as a freelancer, as I work with people that are on the mm-hmm. corporate side, and they're like, hey, it's five o'clock, motherfucker, I'm out of here. <laughs> yes. And you're like, okay, all right, there's the burnout. <laughs> does that define it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I, I had to define it for myself, and I said it's it's when I'm no longer passionate about something. Yes. Then I'm burnt out. It's a very concise way of saying what I said. Yes. And and there's no dollar amount that changes it. And I used to think that wasn't the case. Hmm. But I think that there's no dollar amount that changes when someone gets burnt out. And I think that, you know, I I think it happens like macro and micro, you know, meaning Hmm. sometimes there'll be jobs because, you know, I, at my job, I direct a lot as well. And let's say sometimes you're like an actor and you're like, oh, we could change this. We could change that. This could be good. And we have all these ideas. And you're just sitting there like, at five o'clock, I'm going home. So we're getting done with this project. And I understand where you want to go with this. But my goal is X, Y, and Z because it's not going to make 1% difference. Yeah. Um, And I've just learned to communicate that really clearly. And then I've also learned to communicate on the flip side of like, Okay, here's the opportunity here. This is why we're about to go all in. That's good leader, man. That's good leader skills, you know? Because at that at that point you're you, I think a lot of people don't I think that because of the magic that is filmmaking that a lot of people feel like it's 100% all the time and it's it's not, man. And and especially when you're doing commercial stuff, you I find that Oftentimes, it's less about the final product that you're making, and it's more about the experience that you're having with these people. It's more about, you know, creating uh, a really fun working experience and a really fun uh, creative group than it is, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, cool, we just made a bunch of TikTok videos. Who cares? I'm going to digest these in like five fucking days, in like in three minutes. (laughs) 
So, so would you say that it's about being in love with the process, Mike? Oh, come on. <laughs> what are we at? Nine minutes yeah. in and we're already fucking hitting this. No. <laughs> but but check, check this out. Uh, agreeing with you. And, and this is something also that, cause, you know, I had a very, you know, I, I feel like every year I'm able to understand myself more and more. Mm-hmm. Right. And when I was younger, um, I'm 43 now. Mm-hmm. For me, giving 100% meaning like, busting my ass right like giving a hundred percent meaning like man i left it all there yeah you know and then the worst part is when you realize like man i left it all there and it still sucked yeah you know what i'm saying yeah and then as i get older i realize that what i was doing was i was giving a hundred percent of fifty percent meaning i wasn't at a hundred percent so i couldn't give a hundred percent but i was giving a hundred percent of fifty percent and as I get older, I realize, you know what? I need to keep my mind and body in a place where it's at 100%. So when I give 100%, that's 100%. And then I started realizing like, okay, I'm not burning out as much just because I'm not trying to like, you know, I would, I would the only thing I compare it to is like, you know, if you had a really fast car and the tires were just, you know, no pun intended, burnt out. Yeah, right. You're, you're just not going to get that fast. You're not going to have the traction. But like when you keep your mind sharp and you can be at 100% and you realize like, yeah, I'm working on all cylinders right now, mm. that just changes everything. And I feel as if though you don't get burnt out as much because you realize when you just can't give 100% to a job, even if you try. And that's when you have to like phone it in every once in a while. Yeah, you know? right, right, right. Well, what do you... So what do you do to keep your mind a hundred percent? Um, is that when I shoot, is, oh, yeah. is, is that experience? I didn't mean to jump in there, but is, is that it, over time you're just sort of, you've had more experience and you have more stuff sort of stacked in your toolbox. So you're able to just rely on that more. Or is it like, are you chilling yourself out? Is it, are you sleeping more? Like what, what is it that, that gets your brain to a hundred? I think all of the above with knowing that sometimes I just can't run it a hundred percent. You know, I would say everything you just said, um, meaning like knowing whether I'm, I'm reacting to something emotionally or whether I'm like thinking all the way out, Mm. um, paying more attention to what someone is hearing me say, and not what I want them to understand me say saying, so I could change the way I'm communicating something. Oh yeah, that's always um, that's worst. Because yeah. the most tiring thing on set is being in a circle of bad communication. Yeah, where you're just like, "Could you do this? What did you did you want me to do this? Well, I thought you said you want me to do this." Because then you're not only going to be tired from talking, you're going to be tired from like having to just do it yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, that's true, man. There, there, there hit a point with me professionally mm-hmm. where I felt like I was having trouble delegating, and mm-hmm. this was years ago. And I, and I was found myself just going like, "I'll take care of it. I'll take care of that. I'll do that. I'll do this. I'll, 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 I'll work this out." And it took me a little bit to realize that I don't have to work that hard if I communicate better, and if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm changing the way that I'm talking to people. And if I'm conveying it, and and more than that, if I'm giving myself 
adequate time to do it. I think, you know, one of my biggest triggers is time. This is what my therapist mm. tells me. Time is my big trigger. And more often than not in our business, we're, we're never given enough time to do something correctly. Um, mm. And so I feel like we're often scrambling, you know, it's like we're trying to crawl our way out of a grave that, you know, all that sand and dirt, you know, like time is just sort of pouring in and you're like, mm. fuck, how do I get out of here? And so as I get older, I'm trying to be honest about how much time I need and preparation I need, especially as a director, how much time and prep I need in order to be a better communicator, in order to have my brain at a hundred percent, you know? No, I think you you nailed it because it, it is. It's it's. Cause I, I was I was explaining to to my studio assistants the other day, and I was just like, I'm always going to want things done fast and efficient, but you know, you have to manage up. Yeah, meaning like, you always have to be able to set my expectations because then either I'm going to say. No, we have to find another way to do it. Or I'm going to say, you know what? Okay, I can deal with that. You know? And if someone says, you know, this is going to take me, you know, in, in your mind, when you're in like, you know, in production, you're in like fight or flight mode, yeah. you know? Yeah. And in your mind, everything sometimes can take five minutes when you ask someone else to do it. Mm -hmm. But in the reality, that thing may need 15 minutes to be done right. Mm-hmm. Or 30 minutes to be done right. And if you know, like, okay, I'm going to have to wait 30 minutes for the first AC to, like, recalibrate the, the follow focus and, you know, me you know, measure this out and do this. Let me just walk away and give them the 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. When in your head, you're like, you're not done yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, that that was another powerful thing that I realized because I when I was younger, I'd pace. And I still pace, mm. but I walk away to pace. So I'm not pacing. <laughs> I'm not pacing in front of that poor person that's attempting to do it right. Like I'll go off and do something else, um, and uh, you know, just sort of realize like that's how much time it, it's going to physically take. It, it just, it, it just consistently seems like in our in our world, uh, our clients will always pay us twenty percent less than what the bottom line is, <laughs> and they will give us you know, 30% less amount, the amount of time that we need to physically do something at the level we need to do it. And so you're, you're right. I, I, no matter what, you constantly feel like you're in fight or flight. And the few jobs that I haven't been in it, I'm sort of looking at it going, are we, is this too easy? Are we not challenging ourselves enough? And how fucked up is that? And that's like, <laughs> that's like abuse syndrome at that point where you're like, this is going too well. Is it, are we not working hard enough? Like what's happening here? Like, why is this not hurting me? Emotional. Exactly. Like, did I forget something? <laughs> yeah. but, but I totally know what you mean. But I had a, I had a client the other day I was, I was shooting for this wellness brand because mm -hmm. I, I work, I have my own, like on the side, I have like my own production company and I, and I freelance as a photographer as well. Nice. And we were, we were shooting this shot and every time I had like a motorized slider mm -hmm. and for every shot, you have to like set your end point and set your out point, you know, for the slider. And there's like a process to that, you know? Mm -hmm. And they hired me you know, to work in conjunction with their in-house videographer, but I knew it was to bring a slight level up in terms of production. Right. Um, and so, 
the thing I had to communicate to them, and I just said it flat out. I said, in order for you to get the production value out of me that you want, it is going to take me more time. Mm -hmm. And so every time I have to set up a shot on the slider, it can be anywhere from two to five minutes. Yeah. And once I said that, they're just like, all right, I get it. You know, because it's like, if you have a problem with that, let me know, because then we'll just we'll shoot everything on sticks. You're not going to get what you want. Right, 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 right. But at a certain mm-hmm. point, something like a certain visual style costs something, right? It potentially costs more money because you're bringing in gear, but then it just costs more in time. Like, uh, correct. Especially with slide. Like, I just shot a new piece that I'm cutting right now with the slider, and I <laughs> was overzealous. So I directed it. I was the cinematographer, and I was the camera op for the first night. And I'm on a slider that I'm using for the first time. And I was getting impatient with myself. It was like the director side of me was like, all right, cool. Everything's ready to go. All right, Mike, get on the slider, get it right. And I, you could just see me get irritated with it as I was just like, oh, fuck, this thing's taking too long. Like, I, like let me get from point A to point B. So it was <laughs> – the lesson there was that by day two, I brought someone in to work the slider so that I <laughs> – so that I, I wasn't giving myself all that shit, but yeah, it it totally takes time, man. And I, I think that time stresses me out on those things uh, because I'm an editor too. So I know at the end of the day, I'm going to be trapped in the edit room with a with a folder full of like five clips, <laughs> going like, "This is how, how many hours do we shoot? And that's all we have for fucking footage. God damn it, you know." So. <laughs> It's 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 very for those of you listening. We just jumped right into this. Like for those of you listening, it's very abusive. <laughs> this job, it is. This job is very abusive emotionally. <laughs> and I've learned it's as it's as abusive as you want it to be as well. Yeah. Meaning, like if you, people will give you as much as you can take on. Yeah, and. You know, there's always like the self-interest of the project in mind. But, you know, I, I think it's a good producer. You can that's one of the things that you have one of the grenades you have to see coming and be able to like know when it's like, OK, you should have a snack yeah, or you haven't had water all day. So I know by the time I know we're going to go another five hours, even though you think we're going to run this on time. So let's plan like another meal because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to give us that extra bit that we need instead of like everyone working hangry for five more hours of OT, you know? Dude, hangry is a real deal. Hangry's are like, <laughs> Gina will come in and she'll be like, you're in a bad fucking mood. You should go eat something. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, I missed breakfast. You're right. You're totally right. Uh, but yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's Why is it like... I've worked in other industries. It's not like this in other industries. It's not like when I was house painting, you know, I was like, fuck, I gotta get it. I gotta get, I got 24 doors to do in the next hour and a half. All right. Let me see if I can bang all that out. You're like, no, I'm just going to paint the doors at the, at the the rate that it takes. And at the end of the day, if we get more days in, we have to tell the client that it's taking us more time. You know, I, you know, I think there's so much that attributes to that. And I think that we live in a, I was there's a I have a photographer friend Greg Heiser who I was interviewing about maybe about 10 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember he was like as a photographer when I was coming up, you know, you'd have these photographers Peter Beard, these other guys out there who they would they would shoot like a one month campaign somewhere. Or they would get flown to this country for one month to shoot this assignment. Mm. And then when I started doing photography, 
they were flying me out. They'd only fly me out for a week. Yeah. And I was like, God damn, like now I'm only getting a week to this project. I need a month. <laughs> and then next thing you know, that went from like, oh, now we have like three days. Why do you think that? And then it went. Why do you think that changed? I, I think that's just. I think what happens is there's a. I'm gonna use an analogy. I was I was watching this recent podcast from this guy who's from the the CIA, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he was talking about you know all the time that like the government is peering into our lives and how that can be a loss of. Um, privacy a certain and 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 through that you know it's like well you're not supposed to do that that's just wrong you know Mm -hmm. and he said well you're you're always hearing about the instances in which the bad thing happens and someone does something that's like slightly nefarious but you're not hearing about the 300 other times where due to using that information people's lives were saved our economy was saved from being crushed. Like there's so much that you don't know that if you only know the one side of it, then you're always going to be misinformed and think that you're right. Mm. And when it comes to production, what I find is like, even in my own company, I hear a lot of people say, we need to get someone like young and new. And I'm just like, you want to get someone who has fresh ideas and who's going to bring a new perspective, but then you also want cheap. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and let me tell you something. Those people are called unicorns. <laughs> They're very hard to find. Yep. And most oftentimes are already placed. And so when they hear about projects, they hear about their nephew who did this amazing thing on a $500 budget with their college friends as a passion project that hands down looks amazing. Yep. But they didn't hear about the 200 other times that they failed, didn't even complete the project and just tabled it. Yeah. Versus the production company that's charging tens of thousands of dollars and who knocked it out of the park 10 out of 10 times. With consistency. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And who's able to turn on a dime. It's like your nephew working on that project, when something didn't work, your nephew just said, you know what? Scrap this scene. We're going to move to this next scene and shoot it here. But you need it shot at, at, at you know, location A. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are you willing to, at a moment's notice, keep scrapping your idea, completely change your creative and end up with a happy mistake when you have shareholders and you have your agency, you have a client who has this brief that they're expecting, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, he's right, man. That's good. That's a good analogy. And and it's, it, I, I think a lot of people don't think that long-term and what ends up happening, because I'll have clients that have done that with me. I just talked to a client, I'm not, mm. not going to say who, but I just talked to a client uh, yesterday about this. Um, they hit a point where, you know, the new year begins, they get some new staff on in their marketing department, and they're just like, we can do this even cheaper, and we can do this even, you know, we can make it twice the amount of money on this thing. Why are we using these people that that have? It's like they look down on process, 
Like they look mm. down on a company that has been doing it long enough that there is this process that they go through. And I think ultimately it's because that company hits a point where they have the confidence behind their work to say, no, 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 this costs this much money. And the, and many of the high-end production companies or even just production companies that have been in business for longer than 10 years, they know, those producers know exactly, they've seen your briefs come through multiple times. A lot mm. of the time when you get commercial briefs or corporate video briefs, there's nothing new about it. You know, it's the same old thing. And so they look at it and they go, I know how much this is going to cost. I know how many days this is based upon experience. And so up front, they often will just say, here's what I'm going to bid this at. I'm not going to bid this low. I'm going to bid this in a right range because I know we're going to end up there to begin with. And so I think when it's a new year and those new folks in those, in those departments come on board, they go, well, this just seems really expensive. And they seem very, they're old way thinking. That's very arrogant thinking. How do they fucking know? And it's like, well, because they do. And then, <laughs> and then what they do is they hire like these young kids, right? Yep. Young kids that have like a camera package that, you know, maybe they were gifted. <laughs> and so suddenly these kids that are looking for an opportunity, these are the kids that are going and knocking on the door of that production company and asking them to 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 bring them on board to learn from. Now we're thrust into a world where no one's communicating. Mm. And so like these larger production companies end up being spiteful. And they're like, well, fuck these kids. And so then these kids go in and they go, well, what do I charge? I don't know what to charge. And the, the, the client who is now hunted for that individual is pressuring them and saying, well, this is your opportunity. This is your shot. We don't have a ton of money. Meanwhile, they just want to impress their bosses. So they're just scraping off at least 25, 35, sometimes 40% off of what their mm. actual budget is. And they're going to pressure these kids to do it. So then the kids are like, yeah, 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 we'll do it. Well, lo and behold, your treatment ultimately needs a specific amount of resources. And so when you pressure these kids and these young producers into doing it, I've heard this over and over and over again. The day shows up and the producer just goes to the client and says, there's no physical way we can do this. And the client goes, well, you signed a contract. So do it. And that usually means that whatever production company budget, whatever take the production company has to cover insurance or cover overhead costs, that goes right out the fucking window. Second, that means if the editor or if the director or if the producer has an edit system, they're now throwing that in for free. So now post-production goes in for free. And now their rates get all cut down. And so now they're trying to convince themselves that this is a great opportunity for me. This is why I'm doing this. This is going to give me the opportunity to work with these clients again, because they promised me that if I do this gig, I'm on a rant, if you can tell. If I, no, I, I'm with you. If I do this gig, then the next time they're going to come to me with the Super Bowl spot, or they're going to come to me with this, Right. Mm -hmm. So what they don't realize, and this is what I've tried to say on the show, and I've been in the rooms with people. I've been hired to do larger projects, and at the same time, that creative director turned to me, and I'm not going to give any names, but I mm -hmm. got, I was sitting there doing an edit, and she turns to me and says, hey, check this out. And I was like, okay. So she opens an email and plays me this spot, very beautiful spot. A lot mm -hmm. of like compositing, a lot of really great work done with this spot. Now in my head, I'm assuming that she is reviewing footage 
or a reviewing an edit for a client that she's working with or with a team that she's working with. And so I'm watching this thing and I go, it's cool, man. It's got a lot of cool stuff. I said, well, at what point are you at? Like, are you doing revisions? She goes, no, this is spec. And I said, what do you mean this is spec? Oh, yeah, they did this on their own. They did this for free. We might use it. We're not going to pay them full rate for it, though. This is what I hear from them. And so, like, there is this sense as you're these young producers and you're listening to this today, and if you're young directors and you're listening to this today, I'm supposed to go meet with a guy that wants me to give him advice on how to get big into the industry. Mm. Uh, Understand, understand that it is such uh, there's there's a very low level of respect for what it is that we do at this point because mm-hmm. everybody feels like that they can do it but they can't you know so we're kind of in a shitty space when it comes to dealing with clients and so at the end of the day like you're better off standing on your laurels you're better off stepping back and going like nope this is how much it costs because to bring it back around, that client that went off and did that stuff and worked with this other place, he came back and he said to me, we had the worst year ever. We didn't get anything done. Half the ads would look terrible. How can we work together again? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, man. And, 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 and I think it's always going to be, it's always going to be par for the course. I mean, I think that you're always going to, people like new, they like change until they realize that it kind of bit them in the ass a little bit. You know? <laughs> and I, I, I don't know when, the, when I see that those rose colored glasses go on and someone's goal is about not the creative, but their goal is only about the budget. Mm-hmm. I've come to understand that you're not going to, when is the wrong word? You're not going to appeal to them if you do not appeal to the green eyed monster. Yeah. And I've learned that there's a, there are enough clients out there that do want quality and these smaller ones, they're going to suffer. And, you know, like I, I worked for a pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. and in order just to get the job, I had to, Prove that I had workman's comp, errors and omissions insurance. Yeah. All these different things just before they would say, okay, you're approved like to work on this job. Mm-hmm. And then I was working with like a PR department, which really wasn't familiar with working with creatives. And so as a producer, what I did is I had a process meeting with them and just went over with them what the process was to get this job done. Meaning I went through like the SOW and I keep it really short now. And I just said, okay, this is our objective. Mm -hmm. These are things I'm responsible for. These are the things that you're responsible for. And these are things I'm giving you responsibility for where you can save some money. But if you want me to take them on, let me know and I'll put it inside the quote. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because this is the first time that we're actually talking about this on the show. Um, Mm -hmm. And for those of you listening at home that don't know, those young folks that are at home, an SOW is a statement of work. Explain why you do statements of work to those guys. The reason I do statements of work is I feel as if though it, it, it lets everybody know the full scope of the project from what the objective of the the whole project is, the things I'm going to be responsible for, 
what the exact, I use the word exact, exact deliverables are, Mm -hmm. what our timeline is going to be, and what the budget is. And under there, I'll put little notes for the, the things that I know may come up. Meaning if you want, let's say, let's just throw um, video editing in there for an example, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I'll, and, you know, to keep it brief, I'll just put in, you know, this includes, you know, a basic editing based upon the style of video and attach link and I'll attach a link. You know, mm-hmm. and then I'll say if you want a separate intro, you know, beyond a basic set of a basic title or X, Y, and Z, and I'll put another link, it could end up costing more. Yep. You know, because you can do a 30 second intro that takes you four days to edit, and you could take a one hour piece that you can have edited in half a day. Yeah. Yeah. Just based upon the style. And so, I put all that stuff in the SOW so people are looking at it and they'll just be like, great, got it. Like they'll have some sense that I can come back to and be like, oh, just so you know, this is what I was referencing in this part of the statement of work. And I, when I tell you I keep it short, I have my SOWs down to a one pager. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to look like contracts. Um, and I want them to be attached to the creative brief to kind of keep people in that mindset of like this statement of work is helping us accomplish this piece of creative. And that's what you're going to be excited about. Mm, smart dude. And it doesn't always work. <laughs> no, no, no. Talking, I mean, but it's a great way to save your ass too, especially if you get an agreement, if you get a working agreement after that, and then that working agreement outlines everything, because I think a lot of folks don't realize the amount of time it takes to do tasks that they assume is simplistic. And I think mm. when you start getting into, especially those of you who are listening to the show that are in post-production or are editors or freelance editors, you definitely have to have a, a st- statement of work and then a work agreement yes. um, because folks don't realize how long it takes to render things out. Folks don't realize how long it takes to do cutdowns, how to do reformats for all different outlet and all, all different places. Um, they don't realize the time that is required to do those things. And oftentimes, if you're not putting those things out early on and outlining those things, they assume that those come for free. <laughs> they assume that those are just like, you know, you go to the doctor's office, you get a fucking lollipop and you unwrap it. And hey, guess what? Now all the video footage fits on every social media outlet that exists out there. So Exactly. And, yeah. and I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the things I've been dealing with lately is... I don't know how many times you've been halfway through a shoot mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you hear from the client, oh, just so you know, we have to make sure all this works vertical as well. Yeah. And you're like, and then I just, I'll, I'll, and now I just say it flat out. I've been shooting everything as if it was going to be horizontal. It can be edited to be vertical, but some shots simply are not going to work and yeah. I can't guarantee it. And they're like, oh, Okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's, again, I, I try to keep communication so open. And I think that's the part what comes with experience. And I think that that's where certain clients realize like, oh, this person's taking me down this path and this other person isn't. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think your, your communication is huge when it comes to like getting jobs and get, making clients feel more comfortable, even if they have to pay more. You know, 
Yeah, yeah, especially in the post-production world too. And 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 there's something to be said about well, see, this comes back to what I was originally saying and what we were talking about. It's so that when you're dealing with a lot of clients and you're if you're going to give them um uh SOW or on like say post-production, right? And you're gonna hand them like a thing they're they're like, hey, look, we want to do a thirty second commercial. We want to do fifteen second cut downs. We want them all sized for all of the uh, social outlets that are there, and uh, we also want five second, uh, you know, teasers, like all that stuff. It's a lo- it's a big ask. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of work that just requires reframing. So, you know. AB's been out there shooting it horizontally and then it gets back in the edit room and you're like, okay, so there's all sorts of post camera work that I have to do now in order to make this fit that, that, uh, that vertical space. So one of the things that I do, cause if you just write it all out and you say, Hey, mm-hmm. here's what everything's going to be, it's going to be super expensive. Uh, and then the client sort of rolls their eyes because that's what they do. Every client mm-hmm. that I deal with, it's like they've stepped into a fucking used car lot and they're trying to get that sweet, sweet Corvette off the lot for no money. It's what it feels like every time. Okay. And so what I try to do is I go, here's what you're asking for. Here's what the edit's going to be. And then you just write, you know, it's like a, a, an extra selection process underneath it. If you want cut downs, if you want this, those are additional. If you want that, those are additional. So that way they they can make that choice and say, yeah, we physically want that or no, we don't physically want that. Um, but, you know, just, you know, watch your ass. I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, yeah, and, and communicate. And it's just, it's never going to be ideal. And you're going to be dealing with people who just don't understand. And and it may be, it may dumbfound you how they don't understand. But you'll be dealing with people and you'll just be like, Oh, and, and I think that's my job is like when I'm creative producer, it's seeing all those different options. And so, you know, it's like, okay, if I know we need all these different formats, it's like, okay, you know, let's get a camera that can shoot open gates. So if we do have yep. to yep. crop out a vertical, it's going to be a little bit more easy. You yep. know, the cinematographer is like, you know what? Oh, I want to shoot this anamorphic and I want to get this and I want to get this. It's just like, guess what? Not for this job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But also for that cinematographer, this is some this is something else I learned when I was doing mm. commercials long enough. Commercials aren't movies. They're not mm. movies. They're not your short film. They're just not. Commercials are a whole other beast. At the end of the day, there is a guy with a warehouse full of stuff that he needs to sell, and what you're making needs to ha- make that happen. So it's a di- like you put on a different director's hat. I do at least when I go on to a commercial shoot, as opposed to when I'm on a film shoot. On a film shoot, I'm the guy in charge. I'm the guy that's done all the creative homework. I'm the guy that's written all the treatments. It's my ass on the line. It's my neck on the line. Uh, but when you're on a commercial, it's the creative teams. They're the ones that have done all the work. They're the ones that put their necks on the line. They're the ones that will get fired if this thing falls apart. So you're mm-hmm. as you're there as a tool for them. You're there to support them and support their vision. So if you walk into a space and you make a big deal over shooting something anamorphic, it's like, dude, where the fuck is this commercial going? Is this going to be uh, playing before Avatar in the movie theater, or is this going to be on somebody's phone? Like, why are you? Why are we pitching that here? Like, get with it, yeah. man. And, and speaking of anamorphic, twelve km. Yeah, that that. So you you completely fooled me. Like, I feel like you catfished me on that a little bit. <laughs> I've been 
I've been listening to the to the podcast and you bring it up and you're talking about like bad reviews and this and that. And I'm just like, and then when it's horror, like, and you'll hate me for saying this, but like sure. horror is like sci-fi horror I can deal with. Mm-hmm. Like, and so let me give you a backstory. Okay. So when I grew up, my parents were like, you can't, there's like no violence, no nothing. So like I couldn't watch anything growing up. I had to sneak to my friend's house to watch like Jason, Freddy Krueger, you know? (laughs) And that was like a big deal for me to see those. Mm -hmm. And then I remember I was talking to my mom. I was like, I want to watch horror movies. And she was just like, you know, I don't think you can handle them. And I was just like, I can. Then she showed me The Exorcist. (laughs) And she's like, you're going to sit. If you want to watch horror movies, you have to sit through The Exorcist with me. Oh, man. So that fucked you up, huh? The Exorcist got you. After I was like, you know, I never want to watch another horror movie again in my life. <laughs> like, I am done. Yeah. See, you're the audience I make them for. I think I Watching like traumatizing. I think I like traumatizing humans. <laughs> and so, like, when I saw that first worker like spit, I was like, oh damn. And then it was blah. I was like, oh man. But I had to see like what was down there. Mm-hmm. And I was just like. Oh shit. Like Mike, I know I have to, I know I'm going to watch, but I enjoyed it. Like at the end of the day, I was entertained. Nice. I was scared. And I was just like, and I didn't watch the second one. Cause I was like, wait a minute, this is a different kind of horror, like sci-fi horror. I know I can kind of deal with that. <laughs> oh, well, like the didn't... second title is like, which one who's there. Was that the second one that I sent you? Was that it? What it yeah. Was? Yeah. 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 It's a different movie. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sleep at night if I watch that. Yeah. It, that'll, that'll probably fuck you up. Uh, <laughs> well, dude, thanks for watching, man. I appreciate you. Uh, you know, it was dope, though. I mean, the way it was shot, the color, like the act, like that was dope. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's a world for anamorphic. That's where it belongs. Like it's, it's. I chose anamorphic, and I worked with David Cruda, who is an amazing cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, you know, played in that uh, format specifically because. It's a wider stage. And so I can do a close-up with three people instead of just one person. Um, and so we we chose that format because that's the story. That, that's the one that, that properly suits the story. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of restrictions because we shot that with, with old school Lomo anamorphics. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they can't get super t- they can't get super close without diopters. So you have to start throwing diopters yeah. on them. And then that changes how you can frame things. And that changes how the actors can do their performances based upon the diopters because they're very shallow depth of field that you can't really rack out of. So um, if I was doing that for a commercial, which I have, I had Mm -hmm. a commercial client who is a fan of 12KM reach out to me and say, hey, we want you to do the 12KM thing on this commercial. It was for Leica, I think. So on this commercial for those guys. And I said, sure, why not? And so we went through the whole creative process with it. And they were like, um, you know, we'll trust what it was one of the few times where the client was like, we trust whatever you want. And so they were running through it going, we want it to be anamorphic and that really shallow. And I said to them like, no, 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 no. Like you're going to be stuck in diopter territory here. And and that's not going to help you with the product. That's not going to help you with what we need for this action. Mm. You have to be smart about it because at the end of the day, you know, if, if you're making ads and the ads can't go on the billboard, <laughs> the ads don't fit on the bus. You know what I mean? The ads don't fit. Then what you do it all for? Like, what was the, it was just a waste of money. And it's, what is it for? Your reel? Okay. Totally. 
Right. But that, how successful is that reel going to be when people do a little bit of research and realize that you force the production into shooting it that way? And they're like, well, I don't want to work with that person because they're not really listening to our needs, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but, but I do think, uh, you know, not, you know, just so people don't think it's all bad. I, I do find it at the agency level, you still have people who understand and who are willing to listen. Yes. Um, and I would say it's always a red flag when the client is completely doing it themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's and and they're dealing with someone who simply doesn't understand the medium at all, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that like, you know, I, I feel like old school creative directors, they wanted to have the idea, you know, the idea was the trophy. Like, look, I, I came up with this, you know, I justified my existence. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding that the creative directors I liked working with the most are the ones who make sure the idea happens no matter who has it. It's like, right. Okay. This is, you know, what, what is the best idea to put on the table and don't feel as if though they need the pressure to have it themselves. And I feel like when everyone is working on a, an idea that everyone came up with, then there's way more flexibility in the process. And I think that as a, as a creative producer, I think that's a, that's a part of my job that's very difficult is how do you get, how do you get all this buy-in so that you're not worried about everybody trying to shine at what they do, which then ultimately takes away from the project. Exactly. I mean, and then if it's a director, you have to be an asshole at that point because <laughs> you have to separate people from the piece that they want to hold on to the most, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, that runs across the board with everything that we do though. Right. So like, at the end of the day, even though if I if I have a great idea for a movie or if I have a great idea for how a scene should play out, I mean it's just me sitting at my desk writing things down and maybe doing storyboards. Like I I haven't I haven't uh, put this through the life filter yet. <laughs> like it hasn't mm-hmm. gone out into the elements uh, yet. And so, you know, even though I, the, the best thing to do as a director is that even though you think you have all the answers to it, you're always asking questions and you're always going to the folks that you're working with and saying like, how do you see this? And what is, what is it that you, is this something that works for you? Is this, oh, interesting. And then you're able to choose uh, all these really great outside perspectives to make that piece better. But at the same token, you're making everybody feel listened to and involved. And they're, they're taking ownership over aspects of it, which then makes the work even better. So I mean, I think that runs across the, I think that's part of being a good leader again, right? We're back to being a good leader. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what it's, that's <clears throat> what make the world, what makes the world go around, you know? Yeah. 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 It's interesting. And good leaders know how to follow. Mm-hmm. 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 And sometimes you have to remind yourself that too is, you know, cause I've, I've always been a director. I've always been the guy that's run things. But when I work for Gina, I follow. And that was one of the rules that we have as a couple, which I love, which is like, she's like, will you just come on and light this? And I'm like, yes, I would love to. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to come and work for you. I would love to. I don't have to make all the decisions. Okay, that's perfect for me. I would love to. Um, Have you ever done photography as well? Yes, sir. I started photography way back in the day. Yep. Nice. Yeah, it was, uh, for me, it was a way in uh, to teach myself cinematography because when I started, uh, I'm a, we're about the same age. So 
Mm-hmm. In the early days, it was prior to digital. Digital was just starting. It was jet like it was like on the horizon. And, yep. and uh, so back then, to make movies, everything was still film. You're either shooting 16 or you're either shooting 35. And the magicians needed to do that. The cinematographers uh, would not be like, hey, kid, you're out of film school? Yeah, sure, I'll come hang out with you and give you my services for free and shoot all this really great stuff. Um, and so I was like, well, I got to have to learn how to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the cheapest way to do so was shooting film. So, mm. and that, that process taught me, like, you know, the power of aperture settings, the power of lens choices, the power of processing. And then as a weird byproduct of, of my study for that, I ended up becoming a photographer. And that was a side career that I had for a while. So, yes, nice. I have done it. And the one thing I do miss about film is the reverence everyone had for it in terms of respecting the process and the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a bit, and I was, I was telling friends, I, I shot film for years <clears throat> and I was telling friends like, man, I'm thinking about going back to shooting film. Like I, I love to go back out and just do some documentary stuff and just, and shoot films. Like, are you sure you just do a digital? I said, the difference is the interaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I remember like, I used to do a lot of street photography um, especially like after 9-11. I remember I was in the city like every single day when you could get in and I have all these pictures. So much film I haven't even processed from it yet, which is embarrassing because I have like 20-year-old film that's not processed yet. That's the, that's the system. That's the way the game works though because it costs money to process. So yeah. yeah. And you you take a photo of, you stop someone on the street, you take a picture, you take three frames and you're done. Mm-hmm. And your whole focus was on their expression. You just didn't have the noise of digital of like, are they going to ask to see it? Are they, they going to say, can I, you know, I don't like it. Can I do this? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, with film there, it, it just built this confidence of, I don't need to look at it now. I'm super excited to look at it later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and the only thing you really had to deal with, like you had to learn how to see light you had to learn how to expose properly. And then you had to learn how not to mess anything up in development. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that patience, I think, was just, I don't know. It was just different. It, it made the process more fulfilling, having all these different stages, you know, to get to the final result, you know? And you got to drink a lot of wine in the dark room. I love. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> uh well, yeah, but and, and then continue with it, man, because not only does it change the way you shoot things, but it also makes the the back end different, right? So when, you, when you're out shooting digital, right, you if you're a spray and pray kind of dude, you now have you know a folder filled with like four thousand images that you're importing in the Lightroom, and you have a contact sheet with over four thousand images of like you know two people doing the same thing in each image. And you're going through image after image after image. And after you get through 20 of them, your brain starts to shut off. And you're like, what am I fucking looking at? Like, it, mm-hmm. it, so it's this torture session as opposed to back in the day when uh, we were shooting film, you know, you'd have 24 photos on a contact sheet. And you'd go, okay, it's one of these. <laughs> That's the shot. One of these is the shot, man, you know? And the funniest part when I watch photographers shoot now versus when people shot on film is I feel like when you shot on film, you really 
you really understood your frame. Mm -hmm. And now when I see photographers shoot and, you know, when you see someone shoot and it looks like they're doing jazzercise, <laughs> like they're squatting, they're standing, they're moving back like five feet. They're moving forward five feet. They're moving to the left. They're moving. And I'm sitting there like the, what are they doing? <laughs> like, and then you look at the images and you're like, Oh, here you are framing based upon the autofocus being in the center. Got yep. it. Yep. Here you are trying to reframe the model because she moved. So you tried to move with her. Then she moved back on you real quick and you cut this off or he, like, and you're just sitting there like the lack of focus on the actual frame, yep. you know, which, which I got from still life photography. I mean, I shot and a lot of people don't know this. I mean, I shot, a ton of still life. I mean, I have my 10,000 hours in on just shooting still life alone. That's cool, man. Um, in which you're really looking at the frame. What's in the frame is something centered is, do you want it to be off centered? And when I look at work now, it's like people, and, and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, they're fixing it in post and it just is what it is. So I feel like you, you can't complain about what is, what is, what is, you know, mm -hmm. you just kind of have to like go with the flow, but you do want to teach like here, this is the benefit that you could get from doing it this way, you know? And I'm like, education is actually like what I really want to get into. Like that's what I'm most passionate about now. Mm -hmm. And being able to like, so I did a workshop once, right? Yeah. And so for the workshop, I set up three different sets and I went and I photographed at each set, but I only took 10 frames at each set. Mm -hmm. You know, like, but a very just study 10 frames. Um, and then, because I was thinking like, man, how do I do this workshop? Because I want everyone to have an equal amount of time and whatever. And I said, okay, everybody for each set, you only get like 15 frames. Mm. You don't get, it's not based on time. You get 15 frames. So I was like, make every frame count. Get like full body, get a uh, three quarter shot and then get a tight beauty shot. Mm -hmm. And I know you're going to want to do it your way, but I'm the client do it my way first. <laughs> and then I had, I brought like these portable, like Bose speakers with me were really loud ones, like the PA speakers. Yeah. Right. right. And I started blasting James Brown <laughs> as loud as I could. And I started basically yelling at everybody who was shooting like a drill instructor. Right. <laughs> and like, Oh, do this, do that. Oh, tell her to do it. What are you doing? Make sure you, you know, and then came back, looked at everybody's frames There are 10 students there. Everybody's frames were all over the place. It was like <laughs> arms cut off the worst cropping you ever saw in your life. Like it was horrible. And then this is what I told him. I said, so what you guys just experienced is, working under stress. Yes. <laughs> and everything changes when you have to work under stress. And the reason I do what I do and I use the tools that I use isn't because they're more, most expensive, but it's like you build up this muscle memory so you can focus on one thing. And that's like, what's in front of the camera. Dude, 100%. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, and then they and then they listened because they're like, okay, all my pictures look horrible. So we went back and I said, just focus on the frame. Don't take the picture until you're ready. 
mm-hmm. and direct. Don't chase the model, communicate with them. All right, it's time to take a moment and uh, let's talk about equipment and gear because I know a lot of you are here and you're like, what do you use? What kind of gear do you use? What are you shooting with, Michael? <laughs> the only person that could, two people that call me Michael. My mom calls me Michael and Gina calls me Michael to piss me off. So I feel like I just pissed myself off. <laughs> so supporting the show, as always, are our friends over at Puget Systems. If you're anybody that's listening to today's show, you probably have a need for a computer and you probably have a need for more than just a laptop. Um, many of you are out there doing Photoshop work. Many of you are out there doing uh, video editing on a large scale. You know, many of you are shooting large format stuff, right? At least 4K and you need a machine that can keep up with that. You need a machine that is not going to lag when you're trying to pace out scenes. Right now, I am cutting my new movie that we shot on an Airy Mini LF, large format, 4K, and I have a messy, massive editing timeline with multiple video sequences, at least 24 layers of real-time 4K anamorphic being played back without a stutter, not to mention my multiple, multiple, at least 30, 40, 50 tracks of audio in which a boy has guide tracks, lav, boom, sound effects, mixed formats. Some are MP3s, some are waves. They're all over the place. And the program runs perfectly on my Puget system. If you want to get one like mine, write to the boys at Puget Systems on Instagram or go to PugetSystems.com. They love to talk to you. When you talk to people, there's a button on top that says talk to an expert. It's not a bot. It's not AI. It's a real person. Tell them, hey, man, I want a computer like Mike Petchy's computer. They'll give you the specs. Over to Puget and ask them for it. If you want to know what my specs are, go ask Puget Systems. Click the link in the description of this episode and do so. And uh, here's what I love about Puget. Let me read you something right off their website. At Puget Systems, we do a lot of testing. We believe that computers should be a pleasure to purchase and own. They should get your work done and not be a hindrance. To do that, they need to be the right hardware for the job. We take it on as our mission to test and validate the industry's most popular applications, ensuring the software runs properly and that our hardware is optimized for performance. This means that not all hardware, by the way, Uh, works for every piece of software out there. And these guys have done all the benchmark testing. We have found that this type of information is is often either not available at all or extremely dated and no longer accurate. So when you're doing a Google search, you're trying to build your own PC, you're like, hey, what card works? Uh, Turns out that that article was written in 2020. So we share this information freely. The goal of our recommended systems program is to contribute our knowledge back to the community. So go to PugetSystems.com and check out what it is that I'm talking about. They can It's super easy. You can select your workflow, content creation, engineering. 
They build computers for like CAD modeling simulation. They do stuff for machine learning and AI, which is crazy. They also have the machines that you want for gaming, live streaming, VR, and more. PugetSystems.com. And the guys like to drink a great beer. Let's just put it that way. Also supporting the show are our friends over at Boca Rentals. Now, if you're someone that is putting together, we talk on this episode about like not getting lost in gear, not becoming indebted to your equipment and stuff, right? But then you're like, well, Mike, I still have to shoot things. How can I do it? Make a relationship with your local rental house. Where do you live? What is the closest rental house to you? What is the place that likes young filmmakers? What is the place that supports young filmmakers? I'll tell you this, if you're in Los Angeles, that place is Boca Rentals. Go to BocaRentals.com and look at their inventory first and foremost, right? Because it's all about the gear for you guys. They have all of the lenses that are used to shoot the shows, to shoot the music videos, to shoot the commercials that you're ripping for your pitch docs, right? So whenever you're ripping images or showing a client a specific thing, these guys have the gear that was used to shoot that stuff. So go to BocaRentals.com, check them out. They are a cinema resource, a group of specialists that have some of the best gear on the marketplace. They're the only place on the West Coast that has the Snorri Cam, by the way. Do you guys know what a Snorri Cam is? We talk about it on multiple episodes of the show. You know, the camera rig that you strap to yourself that jettisons out on a pole and shoots your face, right? We've seen it in all sorts of stuff. Go to Boca Rental. Sorry. Go to BocaRentals.com now and check them out on Instagram as well. Uh, the links are in the description of this episode. Click those fucking links, please. Um, and finally, supporting the show are our friends over at Fujifilm. Yes, Fujifilm is back. Yes, they are sponsoring us this year. Yes, we're going to try to do more giveaways. Yes, the Fujifilm Creator Series is continuing. Uh, I was just hanging out with Victor two days ago. We were talking specifics about what he wants from the sponsorship this year. And everything that Fujifilm wants from me is to just promote young filmmakers. That's it. They're more obsessed with that than they are me doing these mid-roll ad reads. You know, how crazy is that? The company doesn't even want me to talk about their gear. But I'm going to do it anyways because I love it, man. That's why I'm here. It's because of really great equipment and really great companies like Fujifilm. So I use their X-Series camera. Their uh, X-H2S is a great cinema camera. Uh, has so many great features and stuff that you need. It's a great still camera. It's a great way in. And I can't really talk about anything yet. But you're going to want to start playing with Fujifilm cameras. The next year is going to be a very interesting time period for cinema cameras. That's all I'm saying. So now's the time to get in at the ground level and start to learn about what Fujifilm is offering when it comes to autofocus, when it comes to the formats that these cameras are shooting. Um, there's all sorts of really interesting stuff about how files are transferred and stored. I don't think I'm allowed to talk about any of this yet, but there's some really cool stuff coming out. Go to Fujifilm-X, sorry, go to Fujifilm-X.com. The links are in the bio. 
below or in the description of today's episode. And I've given you guys a bunch of different traceable links, right? All these links, if you click on them, they know that we sent you. And I made sure to get stuff that's interesting for all of you. So you can go to their main link, but you can also go to their refurbished link. For those of you who are looking for new lenses and you don't want to pay full price, maybe you're trying to keep your overhead down, you're listening to my advice, go see if they have one of their camera bodies up there refurbished today. Click the link in the description of this episode. Finally, if you're new to the show, if you like what I, if you like the shit that I'm slinging, right, and you go and you go to one of our uh, podcast delivery systems, like maybe you're listening to us on Spotify, maybe you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, and you're like, man, dude, this is like 200 and almost 300 episodes. Do I have to go all the way back to one? Like, where are all the ones about photographers? Which episodes are the ones just about filmmaking? Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. I've curated them all there. And I've updated the top 30 episode list. So it's a brand new list. Go check it out now. Inlovewiththeprocess.com is the place to go for your supplemental materials. Uh, it is the home of our show. All right, that's it, man. Let's get back to the episode. for a lot of photographers that's scary man especially when you're depends on how you come into the business and i think this is the same thing with filmmaking is that there, there so many people come into this business from the tech side or come into this business mm -hmm. from the love of the tech and the gear and so you know i know i did when i started you come in and you're just like all right so i have to be focused on like my aperture and all that kind of stuff and then uh you the second thought is just like how are you going to communicate with these people and I think for some people that are out there doing street photography first, or they're out there like uh, hunting for photographs, they're like, well, I know I can find something really great of anybody without having to say anything to anybody. So I'll just do that thing that you were describing before, which is like, you're skirting around the room, you're hunting all over the place, you're looking for the right angle, and you're not really communicating with the talent. And uh, fast forward to you getting very good technically, and so you have... A portfolio that has really beautifully technically shot stuff beautifully lit stuff but there isn't a human connection there's not an emotional connection and i hate to say it you get hired for emotional connection at the end of the day it doesn't matter what you shoot with you're going to get hired because of who's in front of your camera and the only Ab way you're ever going to convince somebody good to be in front of your camera is your ability to form a, a human bond a connection, empathy with that person. Absolutely. And, and this brings it full circle to like the, well, well, A, to, to a, I, I agree with that 100%, you know, and I feel as if though some people, they just don't have that. Mm -hmm. And I think they have to realize when, hey, maybe you need to move into shooting landscapes. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe you want the instant access the photography gives you the ability that you can travel, you can see this thing that you just created, like you love the creative process. 
but you're going to burn yourself out trying to be in a lane that you don't belong in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you have to understand that. Like me, I don't, I never see myself getting into like filmmaking, like what you did on, on 12 KM. I could never do that. Why do you say that? What is it? What is it about filmmaking that, uh, that, that, that makes you hesitant to get into it? I could do documentary filmmaking because I can attach to the story. Mm-hmm. I think, this, and this is where a lot of your users may be like, who is this guy? <laughs> I look at filmmaking as pure entertainment. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you mean? That's, what do you mean? Explain that. Explain that. Meaning when I'm, you know, when I grew up, like I can, so my father, my, like, For my upbringing, upbringing, like the TV was like this highly regulated thing. Yes. Yes. Right. And so when I would, you know, so and after not only was it regulated in terms of like time, it was also regulated in terms of like what you could watch. Yes. Yes. Very similar with me. And so I watched every Sidney Poitier movie you could ever see in your entire life (laughs) because my father loved Sidney Poitier. And then he had these random, uh, my father's from West Africa, from Sierra Leone, just to give you context. Okay. Right. All right. Um, and so then every once in a while, like I remember when Crocodile D came out <laughs> Yeah. and my father was in love with Crocodile Dundee. So I was like, looks like I'm going to be watching Crocodile Dundee, <laughs> you know? And then my mother loved the color purple. <laughs> and when the color purple first came out, I don't know how old, maybe six, seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. And when you're watching The Color Purple, you're just sitting here like, there's no way in hell I can watch this. This is all that's on TV right now. (laughs) And like, I'm going to have to watch The Color Purple. This is horrible. You know? (laughs) So you have either Crocodile Dundee or The Color Purple. It's two opposite ends of the torture spectrum when you're a kid. (laughs) And now I can respect The Color Purple. Of course. It's a great movie. You know? But when you're a kid. Oh, it was horrible. And I remember Uptown Saturday Night. Like, the Sidney Poitier movies with Bill Cosby were actually my favorites. Yes, yes. Those are great. Like, Let's Do It Again, Uptown Saturday Night. Mm -hmm. My father also loved, like, all the Richard Pryor and... um, Oh, Gene Hackman movies. Or not Gene Hackman, Gene not, Wild, not Gene, Gene Hack- Wilder. Right? Gene Wilder. Yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. All that was good. But you remember that movie Stand By Me, where like the kids were going to search for the dead body? <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a Stephen King movie. Yeah. So we were watching that. My father was like, too much cursing, turn it off. <laughs> and I was like, damn. So, you know, like, again, like growing up, like going and like watching Freddy Krueger at like a friend's house or Jason, like that was a big deal. Yeah, I bet. And so, like, I remember, like, the the movie that, like, popped the cherry, like, was because my father was from Africa, he wanted to go see Coming to America really bad with Eddie Murphy, right? <laughs> it's a great movie. And so we're watching Coming to America. I'm like, man, this is really good. I'm like, okay, they're cursing, but it's, it's, it's going over. Like, we're getting through this. This is work. I'm, and I'm eating the popcorn. And I'm trying to chew the popcorn louder so my father can't hear, like, any curses, you know? Because <laughs> he don't want to ruin it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when the woman got out of the water and was like, the royal penis is clean. I'm like, damn, we're going to have to go home. <laughs> like, but we got through that scene. And I'm just sitting here like, no way. So I'm in shock for 15 minutes and can't even enjoy the movie because I'm just sitting there like, we're going to have to leave at some point. Like, he's going to get up and leave. We got through the whole movie and I was blown away. <laughs> and so after that, somehow, 
that movie came into the house. So it's just like, <laughs> hey, now, now we can watch The Color Purple. This is great. I mean, not Color Purple, but Coming to Come America. to America. Yeah. <laughs> and so the way people like were, were able to like look at films and grow up with them and like fall in love with filmmaking, for me, it was like I never really got that attachment because I feel like my hope, like I just got cut off from so many good, great movies, man. And then photography, I just fell in love with it. And so, you know, when people are telling me like, you know, you got to watch this classic movie mm-hmm. to, to sum it up, it's a, it's a medium in which I feel as if though I can communicate and get more of what I want from photography than I can from cinematography. Although I do love I, I could do documentary filmmaking that includes like a lot of interviews and things like that. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. that's very similar to oh. like being a photographer. There's a, there's a lot of similarities in there for that. So that you makes know, sense. But, yeah. Or I could, I could, I could direct a comedy, although it would be horrible. It would be funny to me and just like a few of my friends, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're seeing well, it's because of coming into America. Yeah. I could see, I could see the roots of that. I mean, you, don't you don't understand. It was like, that was like a legendary, like I, I can't even explain to you. And that, when I got through that scene, even to this day, I'm just saying like, how did that happen? You know, <laughs> I love that story. I, I mean, I had a very similar thing with me. So, and I'm, I think I've talked about it on the show before, but whatever, if you're listening, sit, sit back and continue to listen to me. My old story is <laughs> over and over again. Um, but uh, no, when I was a kid, I was grounded all the time. So I wasn't allowed to watch television. My grades sucked. My mom was just like, all right. And I was one of, I was the oldest of four. And so mm. when we, when I was old enough to get grounded, I was not allowed to watch TV. So I was sort of exiled to like the family would go downstairs to watch, you know, a, a family movie. And then I was like, my mom was like, go upstairs Go do something else. You're not allowed to watch TV. Your grades are shit. And most of the time, I dodged a bullet because it was probably all my younger sisters wanting to watch fucking Little Mermaid for the 60th time. So <laughs> I dodged that bullet. But uh, when I graduated high school, when I finally got out of high school, I was like, well, you can't ground me anymore. And so I just, I binged everything. And so I remember I watched Alien 1 through 3 in one day. And that was epic. Like, that's how I was introduced to that series. It was just like going from Ridley Scott's epic piece into James Cameron's epic piece into this really, and I liked it, into this weird, like, uh, warm-toned David Fincher strange piece about prisoners on on an alien planet. And I was like, what the hell? And so just that day in itself was so exciting. And I went through that with all of the franchises. I did that with Friday the 13th. I did that with Nightmare on Elm Street. And so, um, yeah, it wasn't until much later for me. I was in my early 20s when I came to the realization that everything I wanted to do was all wrapped around in filmmaking. So it took, it took me a little bit longer for that. I know that, the, you know, you go watch like Meet the Fablemans and Steven Spielberg's a fucking genius when he's like six years old, you know, that wasn't mm-hmm. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just love, like, I remember when I saw that documentary, um, Hero Loves Sushi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a great one. 
And I was just like, and then there's another one. Um, have you watched the, it's on Netflix. It's the, um, man, what's it called? Um, Chef's Table. That's why Chef's Table exists is because of Hero Sushi. There's there's this, this guy in Patagonia. I think it's like season one, episode three, Francis um, Million. I'm, I'm screwing his name up. Okay. I'm trying to remember, but keep going. For me, that's some of the best cinema I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I love Chef's Table. And um, I feel like it's become a formula that they have, you know, you know, now put to work on the street. <laughs> but <laughs> the it, it all came from the hero, James Asushi, because they're the guys that started it. And that piece really sort of reinvented the way we see food filmed and shot and, you know, bring in the Vivaldi classical music and slow motion stuff. And, and sort of the heightened sort of emotional context of these people that are, you know, obsessed with what they do. I love that shit, man. It's, it's, I've done a bunch of pieces like that when I, for a short period of time, mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of documentary work. I was a cinematographer on two feature docs and then was doing a bunch of like very short form. What were they calling? They were calling them mini docs at the time. That was what mm -hmm. the industry was calling them. Um, and yeah, man, I think there's, there's a lot of beauty in, uh, you know, becoming obsessed with someone that's obsessed about something and then falling in love with their process. I'm using that word with their process and, uh, you know, trying to capture it the most romantic way possible. You know, man, you just, I, I feel like it's like a therapy session because <laughs> I'm, I'm the most OCD person in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think I love when I can see someone else who's completely OCD. <laughs> and so like when I see certain chefs, it's like, yeah, they're nuts. Yeah. And I love that. And when I saw that, like, and, and I guess when I watch, yeah, you know what that, yeah, that, that just hits something. Cause I'm, I'm like the, once I dive into something, like if I did fall in love with filmmaking, right. Mm -hmm. And not to say that I don't love good filmmaking. I'm just not well versed in it. You know, well, yeah, but also, you know, welcome to the torture chamber. <laughs> I can open the door for you if you want to come in and get flogged, you know, every day of your life. <laughs> yeah, like it would, you know, and I directed some like music videos early on when, like, you know, and I was like, man, this is horrible. I remember the first time I was on set for 24 hours. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I just said, this is horrible. Yeah. It's abusive. <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah, dude, it's abusive. Yeah, yeah. Especially if it's not your piece, you know, if you're working mm -hmm. for somebody else. And then if, if that person's got a fucking ego. And most of the time when you're working with younger people, they're trying to hide their insecurity with ego. And you're just like, oh, my God, this person. And, and uh, you know, you make a lot of bonds when you do those long-ass things. But you hit a point. <laughs> I have a really good friend of mine who's like, hey, Mike, do you want to, and he'll be listening to the show. He'll know. Mm -hmm. He's like, hey, do you want to come and shoot this weekend? You want to come and just be a gaffer on my piece? And I got him on the phone and I was just running him through a line of questioning. Because <laughs> I was just like, what does this mean? What do you want me to do? It's it's like it's like being called back to Vietnam. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, God, I'm going back into the shit. Okay, what, what are we doing? What do you need from me? Because- those long days, man, they fucking, they change you. Those scars shape you, you know? <laughs> it is, it's everyone in this industry is traumatized. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. I remember I had my first studio in Hoboken, New Jersey. Okay. 
And it was like, I've never, it was the greatest, like, it's the thing everyone, I do everything that people tell me not to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was, it was like 2001, 2000, 2001, right after that. Like I figured like, okay, Y2K didn't shut every computer down. Cool. Like I can get this studio and things will work out, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I rented a studio in Hoboken on 49 Harrison street. And it was the, it, it, we were next door to like a wallpaper factory that had like all these migrant workers who are like mad hatters. They were inhaling all these chemicals. <laughs> and so we'd get, chemicals leaking into our studio yeah we would water leaking in we get oil being sprayed out of like a heater i remember in the wintertime, man i used to go buy those those like um cylindrical kerosene heaters <laughs> and i would place like three of those in the studio because we had no heat yep and so I, and so like everyone was like probably high off the fumes yep I remember one time I even got a, a, a <laughs> man, I shouldn't even be saying this. I'm sure someone has brain damage somewhere. I got one of those, those um, propane heaters. Yes. And I had a house painter that did that with and they're like, <laughs> and I just ran one of those in the studio. We use it as like a prop, like whatever it took to get images made. And then the flip side in the summertime, we had no air conditioning. Mm -hmm. So it was like, We'd buy ice, <laughs> have cold drinks for everybody. We run in box fans. Yeah. Uh, we would just burn fans out. Yeah. And, <laughs> and when I look at people nowadays and they're like, I don't know what to shoot. Like, I can't figure this out. I and I'm just sitting here like every weekend, I was just like, yes, <laughs> I'm going to be shooting. And then I look at the weather like, oh, it's going to be cold, but don't worry. Like, I'll just go buy some kerosene and fire those kerosene heaters up. And at least, I, and I even, I remember me and my, my studio partner, we were like, you know what? It doesn't really have to be warm in the studio. People just have to be able to get next to a warm thing. <laughs> and we shot all day, all night, nonstop, like for years. And this dilapidated, and the building just got condemned. It got burned down. Yeah, yeah. just recently. Um, and I drove past the ashes, and I was just like, "Man, the memories mm -hmm. like we had there. Like we would feed the cats, so the cats would kill the rats, <laughs> and and chase away the pigeons. That you know, yeah. like yeah, yeah, man. I had a studio that I was in for a year, for years, years that was old and. You know, like the train would run by at Boston and like this powder would fall from the from the floorboards and the ceiling. And we're just like, <laughs> you know, there are sequences at 12 a.m. that are based on real shit. <laughs> you know? so, and Mike, they call that lead-based paint, yeah, not exactly. powder. <laughs> so, oh, I'm not a kid. I'm not going to chew on the windowsills. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, it's the world, man. It's the, it's the crazy world of, of uh, this business and the passion that comes with this business and and you know, I'm, I'm like I love that you're telling these stories, and I always have feel like I have to say this on the show. If it feels like when we're talking, or if I'm talking more specifically, and it starts to sound cynical, or it starts to sound, uh, you know, like I'm pissed off at the business, I love it, man. I still love doing every piece of this job. I still love being on set and like looking through the lens for the first time, or 
or walking over to craft services with a whole crew of people that are just happy to be there and telling jokes and and doing the research with the actors and spending time with them and location scouting and going through prop houses. This job is so much fun. There's so much really great fun stuff that happens in this gig. Now, that's real. What I'm trying to do on this show is tell you that even though that that's fun, that's not Instagram fun, right? That's like, there are moments where I'm like picking up a camera and standing next to a Lamborghini and posing in front of a camera. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's not what we do. That's not the job at all. And I think that even those kids that are doing that stuff that you see on Instagram all the time, or the, I'm, I'm going to try not to go for too far down on the rant, but, or the kids that are like uh, in their mid twenties and they're trying to sell you, uh, you know, tricks and tips on how to get clients, how to make, you know, how to make triple figures every fucking year. And you're like, dude, you're only 25. You have no idea. You haven't even been in the job long enough to figure out how to make triple figures. Like our job is pretty hard. It really is. And it's very unromantic. And um, there is a lot of stuff in it to, to bitch about. We are taken advantage of consistently. This is what we deal with all the time. And so you got to remember why you love it. Um, and you got to try not to get too hardened. Uh, and I tell myself that all the time. But then you also have to remember that when you go through these hard situations, right? And you do the 25, 24 hour long day on set, you're walking out of there with 24 hours worth of experience. And I don't mean like 24 hours of like, maybe it is, maybe it's you, you've unpacked that airy open face like 400 times over the course of that day. And so now you know how to unpack that light. You know how to wrap that cable super fast and super efficiently. Maybe that's what you took out of that gig that day. Most likely what it is, is that you've learned how not to produce a shoot. You've actually looked Mm. around and seen the results of bad producing or the results Mm. of desperate producing. And so now you can walk out of that scenario and go, well, next time I do this, I am not ordering fucking barbecue for every meal of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, And so here's no matter what the clients tell us, what is so great about this business is that the longer you're in it, the more time you have in, the more useful you are, the more your experience is actually worth something. I mean, look at fucking uh, Clint Eastwood. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter who I talk to, the the more time you have in, if the only thing that you're going to get out of it is that you start to be comfortable in how chaotic it is. And you start to find comfort in your own process, in your own toolbox, where you can sit here and go... I'm looking at this in my timeline right now, and this movie looks god-awful, but I know I can make it work. I know I can. And I know that I have the experience to do that. That is worth its weight, its weight in gold. I, You're on a set. This is not mm-hmm. going the way I want it to go. I know how to slow myself down. I know how to like step away. And I have the humble ability to just sort of walk over to the clients and say, my idea is not working. So we're going to rethink this. Can you come in with me on this? And let's try to refigure this out. And let's try to come up with a new alternate way of doing this. And the respect, especially if you pull it off together, the respect that you get from the clients for you to go, hey, man, my idea didn't work. What's your idea? That You only get that confidence. You only get that skill with time. 
And so, so many of us and so many of you listening to this show are restless. I know I'm restless. And you're mm. like, I want to be fucking, I, I, you know, I'm 22 years old and I'm the next P.T. Anderson. Well, maybe get broken up with her like four or five more times, you know? <laughs> you know, maybe have your, I hate to say it this way, maybe have your parents die. Go through some like really intense emotional shit. Like go spend time photographing people that have really intense emotional shit happening and, and live vicariously through their joys and through their miseries and and uh, stock, stack all that stuff away. Because if you're going to be a storyteller, you got to experience time. You know? Man, I, I've never heard it. The fact that if you want to be a storyteller, experience time. I think that's genius. Thanks, man. And I think that is the, the thing. So there, there's a, I guess there's a, like, there's all these things that we, that we, um, that we say like aren't important. Like I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, college isn't important. You don't need college anymore, you know, mm -hmm. and, or just do this and do that. And I, I think the, the piece that's missing, which I think my parents were the best at is they taught me how to be passionate about something. Mm. And because I can tell you this money is not going to make you happy. It'll make you more comfortable. Mm -hmm. It'll make some situations really fun, but it's not going to make you happy. What's going to make anyone happy is understanding the reality of the time that you have mm. and spending as much of that doing what you're passionate about. And if you cannot figure that out, if you get caught in the rat race, it like you're missing out on like, I think photography, filmmaking, being a creative, especially photography, I think it's the best job in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And what, what, what it becomes is a lifestyle. Yes, it does. You know, in which people are like open and accepting, even if they're seen as being liberal or if they're seen as being conservative um, open-mindedness, new and fresh ideas are, are always welcome to the table. Mm -hmm. um, and if you get caught in a, in a position in which someone is sucking your passion <laughs> out of doing something, yep. be cognizant of that, but also be cognizant of the fact if, and I don't know any other way to say this, if you're just being like a little bitch about it, right? <laughs> Meaning if you haven't communicated what you're passionate about, if you haven't communicated like, okay, I'm at point A, but I want to get to point B. If you don't know any of those things, then just hang on for the ride and keep those things in mind and don't, don't complain and don't drag everybody else down, you know? And when you find that thing out and you can communicate what you're passionate about, what you're going to find is people are going to start to stick you in that arena. Like when you create a, and this is the reason you should show personal work and showing personal work is something I've struggled with for a long time. Cause I've been so into like generating commercial work mm. is 
when you can show someone what you're passionate about and they feel as if though they can hire you for it, they're getting a double hit of, hey, I can make this person happy. They're going to have a really good time and I'm going to get what I want. It's like the win-win. Yeah. And then the energy going into that project is contagious. Yes. Yes. No, you're right, dude. hundred percent. And and sometimes here's a, here's a funny little tag for that. Mm. I just hung out with an old client of mine um, recently, a couple nights ago. We went out and had drinks. And mm. uh, she was like, look, I've seen your work that you've done for these other places. And it's not your work. It's not you. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not me? Like, it's it's obviously my work. It's the work that I've done. But then she's also seen all of the stuff that's going on with 12Cam and everything else. And, and she loves mm-hmm. that stuff. And she's like, that's what your work is, man. That's your passion. That's what you're passionate about is that. And unfortunately, I can't hire you for that. But that's okay. Like, I, like I don't want to hire you for something that you're not passionate about. And, yeah, you know, there's a piece of, there's that desperate, you know, freelancer in you where it's like, well, fuck you. I can be passionate. I need to make some money, man. You know, I can be passionate about mm-hmm. what it is. And what are you doing? Like, I, I can do that. But then she's doing me a service because I will be trying to force myself mentally into something for the wrong reasons. And those jobs tend to really suck. At the end of the day, they tend to really but, suck. But I find even those jobs that really suck, if you're doing them, with the right people, mm-hmm. it it just doesn't suck. Like if you're, if, if excuse me, like if I'm on a job and the creative sucks, yeah. everyone's just kind of going through the motion, yeah. the motions, but the playlist is really good. Yes. It's like a group of like people, actors, and like everybody understands, like everybody is like openness in terms of comedy. And it's just like a fun day. I could cut grass, man, you know? Well, yes, and and I completely agree with that. I feel like I have a much easier uh, time doing that if I'm below the line. So, like, if I'm Mm, under the director. So, like, if I'm a cinematographer, if I'm, like, any crew member uh, involved with a movie, then fuck yes. And and, and you can actually see it early on when you're having calls with with the people that you're going to work with. You're having calls with the producers and the creatives, what their focus is, and you can just go like, okay, this is the level that I need to bring to it as far as like emotional creativity is concerned. All right, cool. Who are we working with? Where are we going? How are we hanging? What are we doing? I love that stuff, but that's 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 different for me. That's crew stuff. I find that when I'm doing when I'm directing stuff, at the end of the day, my ass is on the line. My ass mm. is still on the fucking line, and so. I have to have some sort of, and I'm not saying I'm not saying this from like a drama queen's perspective here. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just saying that I have to have some sort of connection either to what it is that we're shooting or to the other people that are at that level. Like, and so like if I'm not getting the stress from them, where it's, you know, this thing's got to be amazing, you got to bring everything to it, and I, you know, somehow con my way on to doing, you know. A kitty, a kitty litter commercial. You know, I mean? mm-hmm. I've been there. So you know, I, I think you just uh, you get older, and I, I, I'm sure you feel the same way. You get older, it's okay to say no. It's okay to turn down jobs that you don't feel like are right for you. And uh, you know, I find that it's better to do four jobs a year that pay me really well instead of doing, you know, uh, two hundred jobs that pay me shit and then there's stuff that i don't want to work on you know 
That's really important. And, and anyone out there who wants to get into production, keying in on what you just said in terms of the jobs you don't want to work on is the thing I've come to realize on set is there's like a hostage mentality that takes over. Yes. And some people act as if they're hostages. <laughs> and that is the one thing you want to stray away from at any cost. And so you'll find someone who never drinks coffee, right? Next thing you know, they're on set. Where's the coffee? <laughs> you'll find someone who literally will get into a fight with their family because they want to eat pizza every single day of the week. They come on set. Pizza's not a hot meal. <laughs> I don't want to eat pizza. <laughs> you know, and you're just sitting here like, when people, or you know, you'll, you'll, or you get those people in the beginning of the shoot, and it's just like the only part they looked at on the call sheet was where catering's coming from. Yeah, right. And and you can tell they just dig in with this hostage mentality, and it's just like, okay, how do you break that? Like, how do we snap everybody out of feeling as if though they have no other choice in life and they're just trying to get through this day? Yeah, yeah. And how do you make like a set that is like fun? It's lighthearted. People feel as if though they're contributing. And, you know, I just, I find like that is the, that is the challenge now is because either it's like you're dealing with someone who's like really inexperienced and they're kind of struggling because they have anxiety because they think they're going to ruin everything, yeah. you know, yeah. and they don't know a C stand from a kickstand, <laughs> you know, and then you have someone who's really jaded, who's just like, mm. Like literally you look at their face and it's just, mm. yep. Like, and, and, and they're just like, right, if that's what you want to do and you're looking like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, if that's what you, if that's what you want. Okay. Yep. And you're just like, are you setting me up for failure? Like what's going on here? And so <laughs> yep. it's, that's the part of this industry is like when you get stuck on a set or with people who have that hostage mentality, like, understand that that could just suck your energy away and like no one's passionate about that and you have to find like like-minded people who like you said how you have like a friend who calls you up and tells you like hey can you do this mm -hmm. like understand like if you're producing a job give people all the details up front yes because they're not going to feel like like my biggest pet peeve is someone calls me up they're like hey what are you doing today and i'm like oh nothing oh do you think you can give me a ride to the mall? And you're like, <laughs> that's, not, well, that's why you call. Like, give, give me first rights of refusal, you know, <laughs> yeah. like be like, Hey, if you're not doing anything, can you give me a ride to the mall? So at least I can be like, no, nah, I can't do that. I'm, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta walk my dog or something, you know, <laughs> but, and so like, if you, if you go, I, I'm going into this big circle. What I, what I want to say is like, to make this industry useful for yourself, try to work with like-minded people who have the same goals you are and don't try to like trap people. Like part of communication is like letting people know like upfront, like just so you know, the location is going to be here. So you may have to get an Uber. You may have to drive. Yeah. The call time is going to be this time. So if you're not an early morning person, you may want to turn this job down. Yeah. Which, I which, think there's going to be a 10 hour day, but it could go 16. Is that cool? You know, but you, you said something really interesting there, which I think is the peak of it, where you said, if you're not 
uh, a 12 hour person, you might want to turn this job down. I think that there is something really nice about that. Like I've done that with folks that I hire too, where I'll call them and I'll say like, here's what's happening. You know, here's what I actually have for money, which I know is not enough money for you. So say no. Like most of the time when I call those folks up, I'm like, I'm just calling because I like you. I like to be around you, but this isn't me saying that I'm guilting you into doing this job. If you don't mm-hmm. take this job, I'll still call you. You'll still get another call from me. So I'm just calling you on the off chance that for some reason you're in a good mood and you just want to hang out and say no. It's, it's totally fine. I will not judge you for saying no. And I think that if you release that pressure, especially for a lot of your friends that are freelancers or that are crew people, there's this fear with crew people that if I say no on any job, then they're going to find somebody that's going to come in and do it and somebody mm-hmm. that's a bit more hungry and they're going to form a bond with you and now they're, they're going to be your call. And I think that a lot of freelancers feel that fear. Uh, especially crew people, especially union crew people. That's a big fear. That Would you say it's justified to some extent, though? To a certain extent. I mean, it just depends on 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 how the foreman is treating it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. shit trickles down from top, right? Mm-hmm. So you have producers, you have clients that are just like, hey, we don't feel like paying what this is supposed to be. And so then it's your job as you, as the guy that's producing this whole thing to try to figure out a way to make it work, right? Because you need money. And so then you're like, all right, so let me figure out who I can call for this. And if the if the cash isn't in place correctly, who are the guys that you call first? Right? Mm-hmm. And they're yeah, usually definitely. the people that don't give you a hard time. They're usually the people that are hungry. They're usually the people that go through that whole thing. But oftentimes what happens in that scenario, those folks don't have the experience. So like the client is asking for a fish or 11, Right. And some mm-hmm. dolly shit. And you're like, well, dude, the money that you're giving me, I can only call the guides that may use a slider. May use a slider. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And and even then, they're still not amazing at the slider because they're still mm-hmm. learning. They haven't, they don't have the, you know, 10,000 hours on that slider yet. And so it shit rolls down from the top, right? And so then you whenever I do a gig. I, I'm all over the place with this, so bear with me, everybody. But my big rule is always have six months worth of rent in the bank in front of you. Always. And no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, even if you're, even if you're young, work real hard. Don't buy gear. Work hard. Stack your money in front of you. Put six months worth of rent in front of you. Because then every time you get a phone call, you're not desperate. You're not making desperate choices. You're not choosing something because the landlord's knocking on your door. You're not on that set miserable. You know, doing a 25, 24-hour day uh, because of it. So, so what do you say to the person who can never put six months of rent in front of them? What's that? What do you say to the person who can never put six months of rent in front of them? Rethink how you're doing it. I, I mean, like, I, and I hear that there are there are situations where you know we come from, um, you know, all sorts of different backgrounds and so, sort of different family histories. But you're now in charge of your own life, and if you're good, and if you're good at what you do, if you're reliable, if you're somebody that works solid as a PA, 
then try to figure out a way. And it may mean that you got to go real hungry for a little while. It may mean that you don't buy a lot of stuff, but maybe you have debt. Maybe you have student loans. Maybe you have all that kind of stuff at your thing. <sighs> Keep your overhead down as much as you possibly can and try to get to that point, man. And I think that if you if you're working in this industry in a place in which you can't get ahead, you're probably mm. not in the right place for this industry. Mm. You're probably not working in the right town. You're probably not working in the right area. Believe me, you're talking to a guy that spent 18, 19 years in Boston, which is a tough place because it's mostly old money. It's mostly uh, college money, very like stickler, don't want to pay for things money. And uh, all of my friends that found themselves in constant desperate situations would get a big paycheck, go buy a new car, and they would justify it. I need to buy that new SUV because then I can put all my gear in that SUV and it will start every day. And it's like, yeah, but now you have that fucking SUV payment that you're trying to deal with consistently, you know? Or they would be in a position with somebody and they're like, let's get married right now. Really? Right, like right now? Maybe I, sp how about we spend a little bit of time and I I'll make sure that we were in a good place financially before we get into that. And I, I'm, there are life things that show up that you can't control. I'm not shitting on anybody's process or life choices. I'm just mm -hmm. saying in the best case scenario in which you can control as much as you possibly can, provided that you don't have health issues or debt or some other thing that you're dealing with. And even then you can still be creative about it. I mean, I have friends that PA uh, and they show up and they're in, t in, in amazing PAs mm. and to be a great PA, as you know, all it takes is for you to be present on time and reliable. And, and that was their goal was to be the most present online and reliable person. And then also drove Lyft at the same time and then didn't just stay focused on one position, saw the ladder up. And, and ended up getting into coordinating because they saw how simple it was to do the coordination process for them and how simple it was to do that. Getting to a point when you finally have that cash in front of you. Mm. And, and when you're working, and I'm on a long rant, so you can interrupt me at any time. But when you're working in freelance, you also can't get comfortable. So just because you had a couple of big gigs come through, right? And you're like, cool, I did uh, two large jobs and I've got enough money in front of me that'll, that'll hold me off for six months. Cool, I can take yeah. a vacation. Understand that if you take off work for two months after that, that it's going to take you another three months to get back into it again, to get rolling into it again, for you to put out calls for people to come back to you and for people to want to see your stuff. So have you planned for that adequately? You have to be really smart, man. Like this, this isn't a business where you can check in and, and punch in and punch out and rely on stuff. And the world is becoming a place where that is becoming far and few between. You can't even rely on these corporations to continuously hire you. I mean, shit, man. You can't even rely on Lyft being around for the next five years because they're just going to make it all automated cars and stuff. It, it is crazy. It's, it's, so I, I agree with you. You you definitely need to have enough money and six months is a great number so that you're not just doing stuff to get by. 
because then you'll you'll be trapped in that circle. Mm-hmm. And at some point you do need <clears throat> you do need like that. You do need that time in order to like break out, mm-hmm. you know, and and you have to get like time just becomes the most valuable thing. Like when I turn things down now, oftentimes it's not even because like I want to relax. It's because, oh, that time is much better spent doing something else. Yes. Time is the commodity. Yes. And, and and I think that right now, what the gener a, a lot of young people who attribute, you know, like social media fame and all this to um, success, I think they they don't realize that success is really having control over your own time. Yeah, and if that means scaling back, yes, then scale back on your lifestyle. You know, if you want to spend your time with a, a BMW, then yeah, you're gonna have to work a little harder. You know. <laughs> Poor, you're gonna have to buy a BMW that breaks down every other week. You know, <clears throat> like choose your poison. I mean, um, then you're a slave to it. You know, and, and there are a lot of folks that get into our business. And there's episodes that I'm gonna be doing the next couple months that we talk about this. You know, equipment, and gear, mm-hmm. and people that buy equipment and they're slaves to equipment. They're but they buy all this tech and they think that the tech is what gets them hired and. And yes, you may get uh, a job uh, because you have a specific camera, right? This has been the case for years. Hey, you have a red camera? Great. You're my red guy. But you also have to look in the future here and look at most producers that do that are like, yeah, but you could throw the camera in for free. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you're not even paying for that rig. And so I think that you just have to keep in mind you know, if I am going to become a gear person, if I am going to buy all this equipment and gear, then I'm a rental house now. And that's what I do. And I'm trying to get this equipment in and out of my space as much as I possibly can in order to make a profit and make money on this thing. That's what I do. And some people successfully do that. My, my buddy David Cruda has his, like lenses that go out mm-hmm. consistently and they pay his rent every month. So there is options for you to do that. But just you have to sort of examine it and be smart about this stuff and you can make a living in this business. And if you can get yourself to that point and it should be your goal, I'm not saying everybody can get there, but it should be your goal. If you can get yourself to that point when you're making decisions, not emotionally and you're just, you're sitting there making decisions based upon what inspires you based upon who you like to work with, based upon whether or not you think you're right for that, that job, then quality of life is better. Your work gets better. Right. And then you make, you make more money. Absolutely. And I think it's, and and I think when you're younger, the the hardest thing to understand is self-awareness, right? Yes. Like you're not very self-aware. And I was, I was telling a friend the other day, I was like, look, if you're getting into this industry, you have to be very self-aware of what your superpower is. Right. (laughs) And so the, the gear conversation is a, is an interesting one because I remember when I started out in photography, I I knew that I wasn't the most creative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I was really good at seeing something and being able to produce it, you know, replicate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone showed me a brief, I know I could really perform really well on brief. But one of my superpowers I developed early on that I didn't know was going to be that was having a studio. Yes, And then on the other side was also having a medium format camera. And so when it came to certain jobs, 
those two things were like, oh, you're nice to work with and you have access to the equipment to get the job done. Great. Mm -hmm. You know, and at the time I didn't necessarily need to own the camera. And this is the important part that I think people need to understand about gear. There's gear that's going to help you get certain jobs, but understand whether or not it's simply owning it or being excellent at it. Exactly. Knowing how to use it. Exactly. Because, yeah, you're not going to you're not going to own a Fisher dolly. I mean, you can't. <laughs> yeah, you physically can't. But if you if you know how to operate it, yep. then you're going to be up for like certain jobs. You know, if you're if you're very familiar with certain cameras, then and that's when you want to donate some of your time to build that superpower. If you know that, you know, this DP is an owner operator of like a red camera and you could work with him for a certain amount of time to build your proficiency, then do that. Yeah. And in the photography world, I know certain people who, you know, their superpowers like rich parents. And so they, <laughs> they basically pay to work with good people to build a portfolio or their roommate may be a stylist and their photography may be horrible, but they're always collaborating with their roommates or who roommate, who's an amazing stylist. And so therefore clients are like, Oh, it's almost like a, a, a pair. You know? Yeah, no, it's smart. Dude, you're you're hundred yeah. percent right. You're hundred percent right. And so I think that self-awareness, like I think people have to be very present and understand that if the thing that is their superpower is like not what they're passionate about, bringing it back to that passion thing, I think that's really gonna burn out. Cause then it's like, well, I'm gonna keep hiring you because you swing a good head sledgehammer, you know? But if you're like but I really want to like, sew, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, you know, you're not using the needle and thread every day. We're having you in this sledgehammer. That's where you want that, that time to redirect to be like, well, I need to start, people need to start seeing like, you know, my craftsmanship with a needle and thread. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if your superpower is, is I can get things done cheap. I mean, where does that, <laughs> where does that lead you? <laughs> just lead you into no money. That just like the end goal for that is like, and this is the cheapest you can go. There's no money. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> yeah, because if you if you have to add up your day rate over a period of a year, <laughs> and then you're just like, wait a minute, my at the extent of my superpower, I'm going to be making twenty five thousand dollars a year. That is, an you have a real issue. That is an incredibly powerful statement that most people don't do. And that's why this time of the year is a real eye opener for folks because it's tax season. Oh man. And when you look at the end of the year and you look at the amount of time, the amount of energy, this is why I stopped doing music videos full time. You look at the amount that goes into it and then you look at what you, what you cleared. And my accountant would tell me this. He'd be like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> and I still had the haze when I was younger. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm doing this like sexy job and I'm doing it. He goes, y -y 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 do you call this a job? It's like, you're volunteering. Like, what uh -huh. are you doing? And you're like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't a career path. Hmm. You gotta be smart about that stuff. Well, anyway, man, we should probably wrap this up. This has been a wild conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you and I got into it, dude. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm glad Gina connected us. Yeah, I am too. She's okay. She's useful for for certain things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm, I have to start a podcast on my own, and 
She was one of the first people to have on under for first Iconic. I have to do something. Oh, nice. That's right. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the Iconic stuff. Um, but uh, I, I, she was like, hey, look, I'm, I'm talking to these guys and I want to get into a light meter. And being an old school person, I was like, ooh, yes, you should get into a light meter. <laughs> it, it's, it blows my mind how many people don't use them. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, I understand why though. Look, in the short term, I understand why, right? Because you have monitors that are really well calibrated. You have false color. You have scopes. You have all that stuff. You have the back of your your uh, your camera where you can actually see live previews. You have raw format images, which you can do all sorts of stuff with. I get yep. that. Where it's useful though is that when you start to do things on a larger scale and suddenly you are trying to not only shoot a scene, but your entire lighting crew has to be three sets in front of you and you don't have enough cameras and monitors. So you have to be able to go send them over there and say, Hey, these are the light levels that I need out of these units. Can you put them up? So while you're shooting, your team can be two sets in front of you dialing them in with a light meter. Yeah, it's a, it's and and when I explain it to people and, and not to, you know not to drag on, I don't want to take too much of your time. No, okay. Is you have you have three light meters that you use. You have your eyes, mm-hmm. which you need to train to like understand contrast and 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 what you want. You know, you have the monitor, which can be unbelievable when it's on, and can bite you when it's off. It'd be a nightmare. <laughs> um. And then you have a, a handheld meter, which is like a third check, right? If you get all three of them working together, then you're in a really good place because sometimes you can see a color cast with your eye that you don't see on the monitor or with the meter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And then sometimes your monitor, if you don't have the right LUT dialed in, you can be way off from where you think you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And sometimes, you know, there's things that I I just at the end of the day, what I tell people when it comes to gear is try all of it and find out what works for you. But don't not use something because someone tells you don't do it, you know, 100 percent like, oh, don't use this lens. Don't do that. It's going to do that. No, you may like that lens. You know, you may find using a handheld meter is like super beneficial. And And this isn't like a Sakonic commercial. This is just. Because we are talking about gear, yep. Try all of it with the intent of it making your life easier. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's good advice on that, man. At the end of the day, it is—it's just a tool, you know. Yeah, and and the the cool thing about it is that we can still do really amazing things without all these sexy tools. Like, all you really need is a lens. A way to capture light. That's it. You can do it with a pinhole box. Like it, 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 you don't need all this magic shit. And it, it, and if the tool works for you, um, and it, and it protects you, that's a great thing. But more importantly, like if you touch this, and this is what I was talking to Fujifilm about recently. Mm-hmm. They had me in a um, in like a test group. They're talking about building new cameras, and so mm-hmm. I was just trying to explain to them like make this thing and someone else in the group said this make it like an instrument make it like a he said make it like a flute which was really interesting he's Mm -hmm. like make it very simple to use 
make it so that way I can I can figure it out with muscle memory that doesn't require my eyes and my brain power. It's just muscle memory. So that way the tools never, ever, ever dictate what I'm doing during the day and they never distract me from the hardest part of my job, which is creating a story. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah. that's it. uh, it's 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 super important. It's 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 sage advice, you know? Yeah. Well, dude, this has been really cool, man. Thanks for being on. Definitely. Thanks for being on, my man. Oh, my pleasure. When are you are you ever out here in Los Angeles? Um, I was in Los last time I was in Los Angeles was maybe three years ago. Oh well, if you come out, I'm, I'm definitely you should come hang out. <laughs> oh, definitely. And then we could talk about, about whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> All right, there you go. You got me. You come on out. Or if you're ever in whiskey. New York. <laughs> Dude, we we would love to be back in New York again. So we love. I can I can pour you a flight of whiskey that will change your life. I have an enormous whiskey collection. See, enormous. You're speaking my language now. This is nice stuff. (laughs) All right, man. man. Well, thanks for being on the show. Awesome. That was a pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. is good conversation man i like him a lot it's good dude uh and you could just tell by someone's voice that they're kind that they think that they think about other people and he's just very humble and chill right those are the best people that you want to get uh, life lessons from that you want to learn things about the path that you think you want to take from he does it better than i do i'm a bit abrasive i say fuck a lot i laugh i keep give shit um, I guess it works, right? You guys are here. <laughs> but uh, I think he's going to do some really cool stuff. I will keep you guys in the loop on what he does. And I know he's going to do a lot of teaching videos, a lot of training videos about lighting gear, about uh, all sorts of different aspects of the business. I will keep you guys in the loop, try to let you know when that stuff comes out. Make sure you check out his work. The links are in the Instagram bio not the Instagram bio. Sorry, I'm so used to saying that because of the fucking 12 game thing. <coughs> Excuse me. By the way, 12 game went viral again. <laughs> again. As if as if two or three times wasn't enough. And I'm not bragging cuz I'm not doing shit. Someone else posted it. Somebody else posted it again. And then I woke up and I have all these messages and a lot of people who are mad at me because right now I'm recording a podcast and I'm not responding to your DMs. If you're somebody that is waiting to see 12 cam, please, please be patient. Um, I will be doing live sessions again where I'll be giving out uh, passwords for short periods of time. So the folks that I don't get to your DMs, you'll be able to see it that way. But yes, we're back at that level again where the folder is way too full and DMs are coming in way too much for me to keep up with it. Um, So I'm trying. I'm still making my way through. But there are a bunch of ways uh, to see 12 cam and uh, go back and listen to some of the other episodes that are 12 cam related because I think those passwords might still work. You know what I mean? Um, so that's it, man. I don't want to rant and rave. Let's just wrap this up, okay? 
your boy only had five hours of sleep last night. I was up all night uh, cutting my new movie, which I'm excited to do. It's been a while since I've done the start at midnight and go until 3.30, you know? All night. It felt like all night. (laughs) Well, that's it, man. You know the deal. I will see you guys next Tuesday. Tuesday.